Welcome to ARBcast, Water Island Capital's podcast series where we strive to provide investors with concise and timely insights into the world of event-driven investing. I'm your host, Jennifer Bloodsworth, and joining us today is Greg LaPreet, Portfolio Manager of the Water Island Credit Opportunities Fund, ticker ACFIX, to talk about fixed income investing in 2022 and the opportunities in event-driven credit. Greg, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Jen. Good to see you. Thanks. So, Greg, before we talk about expectations for the fixed income markets in 2022, perhaps it would be helpful to briefly take a look back at 2021 and discuss how we got here. It's been a difficult year for traditional fixed income, highlighted by the Bloomberg U.S. aggregate's year-to-date performance of negative 1.65% as of 12-15-2021. Meanwhile, the Water Island Credit Opportunities Fund, which has historically had a similar risk-reward profile to traditional fixed income, has returned roughly 3% over the same time period. The last year the ag struggled this much was back in 2013 when it was down 2%. Meanwhile, Greg, your fund was up uh, 5.2%. Can you touch on some of the things that negatively impacted the fixed income markets and how you were able to navigate them so well? Yeah, sure. Happy happy to do so. Um, I mean, I think we all remember coming out of 2020, uh, we were really getting to the tail end of the pandemic. Uh, the Federal Reserve central banks had come in to really support uh, financial markets, uh, federal governments had stepped in. Uh, people were starting to get back to work. And so uh, people started to talk about inflation again and reflation and so forth. And so 2021 really started with rates that were, on the, and I'm using the 10-year here, uh, U.S. government uh, 10-year, were less than 1%. And during the first quarter, they, they quickly gapped up to about 1.7%. Um, and five-year rates, I guess, at that time were 45 basis points at year end, and, and currently they're about 1.2% now. So obviously, rates going up in the first quarter, that worried a lot of investors. Um, but since then, rates have really moved back down and, and stabilized somewhat. But the dialogue hasn't changed at all, and, and it's constantly about inflation and supply chain issues. Um, but rates really have not moved a lot. Um, I have some thoughts about why that might be. Um, but to get us where we are now, uh, particularly with with longer duration aggregate bond types of investments, um, it was really because rates had gone up and that negatively impacted that market. Um, for us, uh, what we really do is invest in a strategy that's that's somewhat really immune to the movement in interest rates. And so, when you look at really what we do in the Credit Opportunities Fund and, and the key distinctions between, say, traditional fixed income. And what we do, uh, it's 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 pretty basic in a sense. In this sense, and and one is that uh, aggregate bond, traditional fixed income, it's really long duration. Um, and what we do is is traditionally short duration. Our investments are short duration. Uh, the aggregate bond types tend to be longer duration. Uh, and then the second thing really is a lot of the the fixed income funds out there are really long only. So they're long yield, long duration. Um, in our portfolio, we run it as a long short portfolio. And so big picture wise, you know, our our aim is really to deliver positive returns regardless of the direction of rates. And specifically, and this goes into a little detail of our uh, of the fund, but we're really what's called a catalyst driven or an event driven focused funds. And so what this means is that we're investing in the corporate credit market. So it's it's high yield, it's investment grades, convertible bonds, bank loans. Um, But we're really seeking situations that arise from those specific markets. Uh, and what we do is we try to generate those returns 
um, based on the timelines and the outcomes of those specific or what we call idiosyncratic events. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll leave it there, but that's really you know, where we've come from this year. Uh, inflation is still very much uh, on people's minds. Um, and what we do uh, is, is, is somewhat unique, and it's allowed us to really navigate through this market with positive returns. Great. Thanks for that. So, Greg, you mentioned inflation, duration, rates. What are your expectations for these things in 2022, and how do you see them impacting the fixed income investment landscape? No, that's that's uh, the question on everybody's everybody's uh, minds right now. Um, I think the one thing that 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 I'll say bothers me, but it's uh, I think earlier I'd mentioned that that fixed income. There's probably an explanation for why rates are so low. Uh, one is because investors really think that the Fed has a handle on things, and that was really confirmed uh, in this week's press conference with with Jay Powell, the Fed chairman. And I think inv- in investors, particularly for the long time, are comfortable that they're going to uh, be somewhat somewhat hawkish, somewhat dovish, but that there's a relative balance there. Um, so I think that's one side of it. Um, the second side is you know keep in mind fixed income is a global market, and yeah, while the, while the U.S. Treasury Treasury yields may be you know one point for 1.5 percent, um, Germany still has negative yields, and uh, the UK has yields about 100 basis points south of where we are. Um, Japan yields are about five basis points, so there is that aspect of it. Um, but what really bothers me, I, I went back and I took a look at, at inflation expectations and inflation expectations relative to yields. And if you go back to really back to the, the pre even 2008, um, you always had a positive. Uh, positive correlation or a positive spread between the two. And what I mean here is that you always had to have a positive real yield. And if you didn't have a positive real yield, that meant that investors were, were losing buying power, which is really one of the basic tenets of, of fixed, um, fixed income financing is that you want a yield that exceeds your the inflation rate. Um, and so back then, I guess pre-2008, you really saw yields that were somewhere around uh, real yields that were 100 to 200 basis points. Uh, and since 2008, we, we've gone from, call it 1% down to, to negative yields. Uh, and if you look at where we are now, and using the five-year here, um, we basically have a, a difference between inflation expectations and five-year bond yields of negative 1.5%. So that means people are actually you know, losing buying power uh, in this market. And in my view, at some point, it has to change. I don't know when it's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to happen, but it's got to revert at some point. And the last time we were this negative was was actually um, heading into really the taper tantrum in 2013. So um, to me, it seems like we're as, as negative as we've been in the past you know, 10 or 20 years, and it feels like it's going to revert at some point. So you, looking at those risks, I, I'm always looking to be opportunistic in the market. Um, we set up the portfolio to be uh, in, in, those, in those scenarios where we do have big sell-offs that we we can stay uh, well invested. Um, we're hedged well. Our investments are short duration. They tend to be less impacted by a lot of the longer duration stuff. So we use those types of market where, markets where there's sell-offs really to invest in specific opportunities where you've had spread widening and, and price corrections and so forth. So um, looking forward, um, I, I'm, I will continue like I did this year to kind of wait for those opportunities and be invested in, in what I see as relative safety until then. Hey, thanks. Greg, what other key risks should investors consider for 2022? And are there any other risks you're considering that may not be widely talked about? Good question. Um, 
Well, when you think about the markets that we're invested in, uh, or I should say the types of catalysts, we tend to invest in things like uh, companies impacted by mergers, acquisitions, um, spinoffs, asset sales, and the like. Um, I think one of the key risks that we see in the, in those markets are really related to regulatory uh, trade tensions, um, even to an extent, you know, China and Russia versus the West right now. That that's a big topic. Uh, I think that everybody's watching. Um, but the merger arb community this year specifically, they they really ran into a lot of headwinds with regulatory, antitrust, uh, kind of this fear at the government level of large corporations, large technology corporations. And then definitely with trade tensions, uh, particularly with China, uh, a lot of the transactions that the merger arb community looks at have to get approval by China or by the EU. And so a lot of cases here, um, they faced um, deals that were either not approved or uh, there was a lot of doubt about whether they'd be approved. And and that led to, in some cases, cancellation of some deals. So I think that's one risk that that certainly has to be uh, looked at really in 2022. Um, I think we'll continue with what we saw uh, last year, um, but we'll be watching that closely. Uh, also, we'll be looking for, like I said, any type of uh, increased uh, trade tensions. Um, and I think any meeting that occurs between the U.S. and China, uh, I think if there's a positive outcome, then that'll definitely have a positive uh, impact on our markets as well. Greg, the role of traditional fixed income has historically been to provide capital preservation, diversification and liquidity to portfolios. Given some of the things we've discussed, it seems it seems valid that investors are wary that they may not be able to expect those tenants from their core bond holdings moving forward. Could you spend a little time discussing why your strategy can be viewed as an alternative to traditional fixed income and why you believe it can serve as a good complement or replacement to that sleeve of an investor's portfolio, especially given some of the risks we've discussed? Sure. Um, well, let's take a step back and think about fixed income investors and, and, and why people invest in, in bonds and fixed income. Um, usually you're either seeking income or capital re- re- <clears throat> capital preservation or, or really a combination of the two. So the problem is that if you want both, then there are, are some risks. So if you're looking for capital preservation, then you really want to get into high quality types of investments. And that really gets you into the bulk of the aggregate bond index. So if you want capital preservation, you're going to get a pretty skinny yield of about 1.7, 1.8% right now. But your risk here is 6.8 years of duration. So if you do get, say, the 10-year or the 7-year moves up by 100 basis points, then your investments are down you know, 6 to 7% for that year, uh, excluding your carry. Um, so if you don't want that type of interest rate risk, then a lot of people then they'll move over to get yield. And that's going to drive you really into the high yield market. And in the high yield market, you, you, in the U.S. high yield market, you could still get a say a four four and a half percent return there. Um, but of course, then you're taking talking about concerns with this, not only the sensitivity to rates to a lesser degree, but also the credit quality. And if you do get a soft market, if you get a, a sell off, that sort of thing, then that type of strategy can come really come under some pressure. So, our strategy is really a hybrid approach, and that is. We can deliver returns of the short-term high-yield market uh, with little sensitivity to rates and certainly much less sensitive to to high yield uh, during market sell-offs. And if you go back and you look at the two sides of that, if you look at the taper tantrum or other periods where uh, fixed income, uh, interest rate-sensitive investments were really hurt, 
we, we performed pretty well. Um, in most of those cases, if not all, we were, we were positive during those quarters uh, and during those years. Um, and then if you look at periods where there's risk off in the market, where equity markets are on fire, or rather are, are well, on fire in the sense of trading down, um, or you look at the high yield market when it's trading off, um, we have outperformed those markets uh, to a pretty, pretty large degree during those markets. So like I said, we're really uh, a bit of a hybrid here where we're able to capture income. Uh, we're able to have stability of principal capital preservation. Um, and I think the strategy, it's, it's unique in that sense. Thanks, Greg. So it sounds like you're primarily investing in high yield, but the strategy has historically had a risk return profile uh, very different than a typical high yield portfolio. Could you expand on that a little more and maybe walk us through an example? Sure. Um, good example is over the, over the past year, and what I had said earlier is that uh, a lot of the portfolio were looking to invest in merger and acquisition types of transactions. So a lot of people may be familiar with merger arbitrage from an equity standpoint. <clears throat> and I'll use an example here. It's a stock example and a bond example. But if I think about Michael stores, um, I think a lot of people are familiar with their kind of the arts and crafts stores that you see in a lot of strip malls um, and so forth. Um, their mail order business obviously has uh, improved tremendously through uh, through COVID. Um, in February of last year, <clears throat> Apollo uh, Apollo Group, which is the uh, private equity investor, uh, launched a $22 cash offer for Mike Stores. So prior to this deal, Mike Stores was trading somewhere around 25 to 30% lower than that bid. So in the event that that deal broke, equity investors could probably uh, suffer a 25 to 30% loss on, on their capital. But what they're looking for there is that uh, the stock would trade up to say 21.75, and they're looking to capture that last 25 cent spread. And that's really what a what a, what a uh, merger arbitrageur uh, or a risk arbitrageur looks to capture uh, in that market. So there's a small amount of upside, um, but there can be a fair amount of downside. What we do in the portfolio, we'll look at this Mike Stores example, is we're very aware of what goes on on the equity side, but what we're looking at is well. Does Michael Stores have debt? Do they have any bonds outstanding? Do they have bank loans? And if so, what's going to happen to those that part of the balance sheet uh, from from a, a takeover offer? And so we immediately go in. We look at the, we look at the bonds. We look at the covenants and the prospectuses, things and all the rules and restrictions underlying those bonds to find out what the path is for those bonds uh, pending the deal being completed or not completed. So in this case, we were able to identify two bonds in Mike Stores' capital structure. And we thought that through our research that Mike Stores, or in this case, Apollo, would need to redeem these bonds earlier than the maturity date in order to affect this merger, to get this merger to go through. Um, so the, the second part of this is that the spread that we were able to, to attain here was uh, equal to, if not a little bit better than what the equity-based uh, ARB players saw. But the best part about it is if the deal broke, uh, rather than seeing 25 to 30% downside, our bonds, we would have expected somewhere between 3 and 5% downside. So a much, much better risk reward. Um, so to, to get back to your question about you know, how do we, even though we're invested in the high yield market, how do we differ? Well, Mike Stores was a high yield credit at that time. And you know the market in, earlier this year, it zigged, it zagged, it went up and down. Um, we didn't care about that. All, all we cared about was that Mike Stores was going to have its bonds redeemed. And that to me was going to be the trade. Um, so we invested in the bonds and they were redeemed when the deal closed. Uh, I think it was in the summertime. Um, and we were able to, to maintain that return. Um, 
taken you know another look at that, let's assume that this same deal had occurred uh, when COVID was launched, and we had a lot of deals that were uh, pending when COVID uh, COVID had had hit. Um, some of those traded off with the market, but as long as those deals were going through, meaning they were going to be completed, then those bonds and that stock would have to be redeemed for cash. Um, so you have a quick snapback as long as those deals go through. Um, so that's really what we're uh, really how we how we differentiate. Thanks, Greg. What would you see as the opportunities in your space currently? And what, if anything, are you excited about as potential opportunities in 2022? Would you consider there to be more tailwinds versus headwinds for your strategy or vice versa? I think I'm probably straight down the fairway as far as opportunities or, or threats. I mean, the threats we talked about, it's, I think it's going to be coming from um, probably from inflation and rates. Um, we don't know when that might happen, if it happens. Um, but on the other hand, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic about the types of opportunities that we see. I think mergers, acquisitions, um, I think SPACs, I think uh, IPOs, um, those types of opportunities I think are going to be plentiful. Um, there's a lot of a lot of money at private equity floating around right now. Um, SPACs have been a pretty active investor. Um, companies are, are still looking to kind of streamline their businesses through asset sales and acquisitions. So I think that those are going to be good opportunities through the new year. Um, but the way that we run the portfolio also is, you know, if the, to me, if the market falters or we see a return to more sane valuations in the equity markets, um, then I really see opportunities, say, in the convert market um, at that point. So I think for most of the year, the, the mergers, acquisitions, spinoffs, um, asset sales, those are going to be kind of the drivers of the bulk of our returns. But if we do get a sell-off and we have an opportunity to buy um, converts or busted converts, I think that'll be another, another great opportunity. Um, but time will tell. Great. Greg, thanks so much for your time today. So we've been speaking with Greg LaPree, Portfolio Manager of the Water Island Credit Opportunities Fund, ticker ACFIX. For those listening who may not be familiar with Water Island Capital, we are an asset management firm with a proven 20-year track record in event-driven strategies across public mutual funds, private investment vehicles, and currently our recently launched ETFs, allowing clients to choose the best format for their exposure. For more information about our funds, please visit our website at arbitragefunds.com or call our resource desk at 800-560-8210.